I think that this time is incredibly important for organizations to understand that this isn't about training. This is about development, and it's about workforce development, and it's about the ability for individuals to apply that which they've learned and to scale that across the enterprise. Welcome, listeners, and a happy new year, and welcome back to Workforce Insight the podcast for business leaders looking for fresh insights and solutions to today's most pressing workforce challenges. I'm your host, Bhushan Sethi, Joint Global People and Organization Leader at PwC. And in each episode, you'll receive new ideas from experienced practitioners who are helping employers drive workforce transformation. On today's episode, we'll discuss how you can prepare your workforce for the future. Now more than ever, companies need a workforce with flexibility, with new skills in the ability to work differently. Upskilling is more than a business differentiator. It's an absolute necessity. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by my partner and colleague, Anne Johnson, one of our leaders in the learning strategy space. Anne, hello and welcome. Hi, Bushan. So happy to be here with you today. You too, and Happy New Year. So Anne, really, really most important question of our podcast today. Tell me something about you that no one else knows. Sean, it is a little-known fact that I am absolutely an avid do-it-yourselfer and love hardware stores. I can wander the aisles aimlessly and come out with a whole cart full of goodies and absolutely love the whole process of fixing or creating or doing something that is a life hack of one sort or another. Wow, what a wonderful transferable skill and totally relevant in the pandemic as so many people are working from home and started to make changes to their homes. That's that's wonderful. So, Anne, you and I have spoken about this for a number of years. Upskilling was very relevant at the start of last year. In our CEO survey, a number of CEOs had actually driven significant benefits, improved their confidence and their profitability through upskilling programs. Throughout the pandemic, we saw upskilling in many different shapes and forms through digital ways of working, through people working across different sectors. As you look at this now, kind of at the start of 2021, in your advising businesses out there, what are the most important things to get right from upskilling here and now? What are the things that companies have to focus on around their upskilling agendas today? That's a great question, Bushan. I think that one of the things that needs to occur is truly looking at upskilling rather than what we would refer to as upknowledging. There's a lot of focus on completions, and the focus on completions takes away the incredibly important aspect of this that individuals need to actually apply that which they've learned, and then it needs to be able to scale across a team or across an enterprise to truly be able to articulate and realize a business benefit from an individual learning something new. I think another piece of this is that we often hear the phrase continuous learning. And I want us to start thinking about continual learning because machines run continuously. Human beings can learn continually. And how do we start to integrate learning, knowledge acquisition, skill application, and scaling in a way that is continual and merely becomes a way of working, a way of being when we work? That's great. So I love the distinction. So in the spirit of continual learning, when we think about the skills, there's been a whole lot of literature written about future skills. Where are you seeing some of those important future skills? 
I think that in a range of technology fields, that will continue to evolve and emerge. I think one area that will be a differentiator for organizations is still in the leadership development space. Because in terms of leadership development, we've known for a long time that it's not important to only be smart. Yes, you have to have a certain level of mental acuity in order to understand the the deep intricacies of the work of leadership. So IQ is going to be important. Daniel Goleman, in his work over the years, has really focused on emotional intelligence. What we're seeing more and more, and that certainly has come through in the past year in particular, are two additional areas of intelligences, social intelligence and cultural intelligence. And the combination of those four will really be differentiators, not only for leaders, but the teams that they are entrusted to be able to enact business realities. And so I think the technical skill is going to need to be there, but also social and cultural intelligence intelligences are going to be very, very important as well. Yeah, the great point. How do businesses get started thinking about that in terms of where they are and what they need from the skills to drive their business strategy? I think that we need to look at different industry sectors for the answer to that. It isn't a one-size-fits-all. If you follow this particular path or this series of steps, then you too can get on the superhighway of being upskilled. I think that that it's an important differentiation that even within companies, within organizations, there are subsets of the population. And one of the things that we certainly learned as a firm is that it's important to democratize the process, to make certain learning available to everyone, and then have a subset of the population where you take a much, much deeper dive. And I think that's going to be the key across industries, across industry segments, to really look at the population segments. Yes, everyone requires and needs and deserves the opportunity to upskill. Where are you going to focus and where is a business where you have the discipline to focus in order to really be able to measure and quantify success? So could you talk a bit more about the democratized learning and what that looks like? I think that it can show up in a range and a variety of ways. Most companies at this point have licensed content. Most companies have the ability for employees to access that content via a mobile device or via their computer in some way, shape, or form. There are also plenty of ways that employees outside of their companies can access content 24-7 via the internet. And so one of the things that is going to be incredibly critical is for organizations in formal and informal ways to create the expectation and the accountability for employees to engage in their own learning. For example, there are a number of organizations that put out the challenge of 50 hours in the year that focus on your own organic learning, democratize the learning in such a way that we're going to free up an hour a week for you to focus on learning anything you want. And on the surface, boy, that's really nice. I'm not going to argue with that at all. Where it starts to fall apart for me is, then where's the accountability? What's the expectation for how that will then be applied and how that will be shared in order to scale it over time? And so the democratization of learning still has to have a business focus so democratization, absolutely critical. It's, it's a no regrets move, if you will. So everybody can have access to learn new things. And I think we've definitely seen that through digital. And we've seen that within our own experience of what we've rolled out at PwC. As we think about different segments of organizations, how do you work with companies? How are companies thinking through segmentation based on job roles, based on critical needs, in addition to the democratization? I think that part of the trick, if you are providing an opportunity through democratization of learning for everyone to have access to learning, then it's critical to start to ask the company, where are the pain points? Where are the growth areas? Where are the things that would make critical 
business decisions that much easier? What are the worry points for business leaders, functional leaders to really take a look at where in the future are we going to have pain points or where will it be a differentiator for us? As a firm, we knew that we needed to start down the path and journey toward automation. We knew that that was clear. We needed to be able to use technology. We needed to be able to rely on technology. And we made a decision as a firm that everyone would have access to various opportunities to learn and within that subset of the population, we also knew that we needed to create super users, those who would coach, those who would be accelerators of our process. So it's never a one-size-fits-all. There have to be different strata, different layers of how you go about doing this. And in our workforce poll survey that we ran last fall, the October one, we asked specifically how people have been developing new skills. 65% of males and 51% of females said their employers helped them develop new skills during the pandemic. Maybe that's around digital ways of working, for some around leadership. When you look at the differences between those numbers, is that striking for you? Is that a surprise? Well, not a surprise, but it's striking that in that particular survey, there were gaps between the male and female experience of how they are experiencing the support from their organizations, the ability to learn. And I think that it gets back to some of those generalizable truths about men and women, that women are spending their discretionary effort trying to figure out generally how to keep the family moving along, how to keep kids in school. Not that men don't help with schooling. I'm saying that the survey does have some interesting results that there are gaps and differences between how men and women are experiencing the support being provided by their employer. I know in my personal experience, we're supporting aging parents. So the caregiving role often falls to females and and not to men. Again, not to say that men aren't helping with those roles. I just think it's something that, that we as a firm have uncovered and that it'll be very interesting to see how that continues to play out. Thanks for sharing that, Anne. I'd like to take this outside of the workplace. We all know that upskilling doesn't just start when we walk into a corporate office or we work into, you know, get onto one of these virtual calls. It actually starts much earlier in life and it's it's early childcare and it's it's kindergarten and high school. As you work with organizations, what's the role of business in driving some of the skills that you were mentioning at the start of this podcast into much earlier, maybe into different demographics? How are you seeing businesses show up around the skills agenda before people even get to the workplace? I think that the role of businesses in their corporate social responsibility efforts really shine through. I'm seeing some really nice attention to STEM, science, technology, engineering, math, and really starting to integrate not only mentoring for children and the involvement of organizations in the school system and framing what the expectation is of businesses and really taking this very, very seriously. I know we as a firm certainly do. And it's part of of our goal to make sure that all of our employees in one way, shape, or form are volunteering. And a lot of that volunteerism is showing up in that K-12 space STEM certainly is a big part of that, and it's something that is going to continue to be important into the future. I'm curious for you, Bushan, what are you seeing in this space? So thanks for the question, Anne. What I'm seeing in this space is firms trying to support where they can. So accounting firms helping high schools with financial literacy, technology firms trying to help with coding skills. The real challenge here is is the homeschooling, the homeschooling where we have an unequal access to digital, to broadband. We have an unequal access to either 
some in-person, some remote schooling. So the real challenge is businesses are trying to stand up to say, how can we support our community? How can we support our workforce with their children's needs? I think that just needs to continue. But I do have a real concern that all of the focus on technology really highlights the uneven playing field in terms of access. And also the kids are really missing out on some of those in-person interactions that are so important to all of us, whether we're in school or in, in the workplace. When you look forward and you think about the important skills that businesses need to develop, where are you seeing the skills agenda and the big initiatives companies will be focused on in 2021? And I think that part of the mix here is continuing to understand what does it mean to work remotely and exactly what you're saying about kids with remote schooling, with homeschooling, with all manner of blended approaches. What will it mean for organizations to have a blended approach? And what will it mean for the power structures within organizations as well? So certainly the power structure between a supervisor and their supervisees is interesting from a global perspective that not everyone is in a hub or a headquarters quarters location, leaders have had to learn how to lead differently. Workers have needed to learn how to work differently. And I think that now we're going to have this even blended approach. When do I need to be in the office? Why do I need to be in the office? For those who have always, that didn't have a time away, for, for those folks in either plant or supply chain operations roles or in distribution roles, etc., I don't know that much has changed for them. I think it's in a corporate context that there's going to be a continuing amount of reflection on what does it mean about who I am as an individual and where I work and how does psychological safety fit into this as well? How do I continue to build my team? How do I continue to grow my team, the cohesion of my team in a blended approach? So really a real focus on the ways of working, whether we're physically in a workplace, working from home, how we make sure meetings are inclusive, how we make sure that we're rolling out technology that has the right user experience. So, Anne, as we think about technology, you've seen in your career the huge investments now that firms are making around digital technology. We've seen the whole education sector now move to a huge amount of online learning. We have a PwC launched our own digital fitness app a number of years ago, as you know, which was the prerequisite to really digitizing and changing the way we work and the way we develop digital businesses and products and services and tools. How are you seeing that in other companies? I think it's critically important, Bouchon. I think that there are limitless possibilities on the internet, and we as human beings need structure. We as human beings need to take these massive amounts of information and funnel them in a way that we can make sense of them. And so as part of the support of the sense-making process for human beings, organizations down-select and they say, these are the things that we feel are important for you to focus on in a given day-to-day work environment, the things that corporations license or the things that they create and make available via a learning management system. And so I think more and more online learning, self-paced learning is going to be critical. I think we're moving from an era of event-based learning to individualized learning. And it's almost as if we've come full circle because the apprentice model of the pre-industrial era was very much focused on the individual. And then with the advent of the various generations or segments of the Industrial Revolution from the first to the second to the third, and now we're in the fourth Industrial Revolution, it started to come full circle to more and more the PNL of one. 
and that PNL of one in relationship to the PNL of the many? And how will what I know then contribute to the collective whole of what the entire organization needs to know to be successful? So really focusing on the organizational learning and kind of taking all the different individual components together. I, I, I love that, Anne. Thanks for, for sharing that. And lifelong learning is not a new term, but it's a term that I think has much different relevance today. How are we advising clients on lifelong learning and whether it's businesses working together with academic institutions or indeed policymakers? How do you think about that topic? I think that's incredibly important that it also aligns with that whole notion of continual learning and learning is a way of working. And what Carol Dweck popularized as the the notion of growth mindset as opposed to fixed mindset. What you're articulating is growth mindset. How do I constantly look at the world as full of possibilities of things that I can learn? And then how can I apply that learning to have vibrant libraries of online content where individuals can see their own progress and their assessment of their skills and their ability to learn against and with their peers is incredibly important as we move forward because there will never be enough events. There will never be enough days in the week, enough venues in the world to be able to encompass everything that everyone needs to know. Am I a hater on event-based learning? Absolutely not. It simply cannot be everything for everyone, whereas online learning and the modalities that present themselves through technology are incredibly important for, for companies to take a look at. I think what's interesting, Anne, is we've seen learning shift from something that was a compliance-related activity, maybe owned by the HR or the learning department, to really being front and center of CEOs' dialogues around how they need to grow. The pandemic has highlighted the importance of digital and new ways of working. There isn't a company out there that isn't looking at their leadership model in a different way right now. I'm loving the fact that this, again, has been a huge change in how folks are looking at learning. It is a business issue. It's a functional issue. Learning and development people have a certain skill, a certain expertise to be of service to the rest of the organizations. And yet, we cannot be the only people who are engaged in learning in our organizations. And so, looking at the data is incredibly compelling, Bouchon, that 74% of employees are ready to learn new skills, retrain, to remain employable in the future, 37% of candidates say that they see upskilling opportunities as the most important factor in deciding on a new job after salary and benefits, which is incredible. So we have salary, benefits, and are you going to help me evolve and develop my skills? And finally, 42% of employees are likely to leave the organization if they're not learning fast enough. So that knowledge management aspect, we're seeing a lot of questions about information management, knowledge management, knowledge transfer. And 10, 15 years ago, it was, oh my gosh, the baby boomers are going to start retiring. We need to focus on knowledge transfer. Now it's, oh my gosh, if people aren't learning quickly enough, 42% of our workforce could end up leaving if they feel they would have better opportunities to learn and grow their skills elsewhere. That becomes an information and knowledge management piece as well. Yeah, being a learning organization is absolutely table stakes today. So, Anne, as we mentioned earlier, there's a lot of technology, there's a lot of innovation in the ed tech sector. Um, a whole number of businesses and service providers are out there. There's different learning content. How do you make sense of what's right for you if you're tasked with investments in learning in an organization? 
It's incredibly tricky. It's a very, very large playing field right now. And I think, again, what we did as a firm is what many folks do. We evolved an app. And that app was a way for us, as part of our democratization of learning, that we made the app available to everyone around certain areas of digital digital knowledge that we felt were important. Then we looked at the need in the market and we evolved the digital fitness app, which has been made available to everyone globally through the pandemic. And we've evolved ProEdge as our platform. And the platform provides an opportunity not only to look at the skilling aspect of things, but also workforce planning. And when you take a look at the data that I mentioned earlier, that 42% of employees say, hey, if I'm not learning fast enough, I'll leave. Platforms like ProEdge provide a solution and an opportunity for employees to be able to see how am I going to advance my skills through assessment and through my own work and my commitment to my learning. I'm evolving my skills and I'm seeing that reflected in my assessments. It also provides the organization with a very important view from a workforce planning perspective. How many people are focused in some of these areas and how can we continue to support how these folks are learning and what they're learning and when they're learning? Thanks, Anne. As the business leaders on this call are thinking through how do they prioritize upskilling, they know it's important, they know it's critical as part of business recovery and growth going forward in 2021. What are the top three priorities you would suggest for business leaders to address on this topic? I think that there are three main things that folks need to do, that there's been a lot of conversation and a lot of talk around the digital agenda and bringing people along, as you often say, on the digital journey, and how are organizations going to measure the impact and their effectiveness at being able to do that. Second, there's a differentiation between initial skilling, upskilling, and reskilling. And for business leaders to be really, really clear about what are the trends in their marketplace, what are the areas where they may need to also focus on reskilling or basic initial skilling for their workforce in order to ensure that they have a continuity or a continual growth of their workforce. And then finally, this provides an opportunity for organizations to really look at some of the areas and the priorities that they have, inclusion, employee well-being, et cetera, and how do we really start to make some inroads around these more social or cultural things within organizations as well and bring those into the mainstream. That's great. And what I'm hearing for that is businesses can't go alone because you can't address some of those topics without influencing the education system, whether that's high school or higher education, without working with policymakers to say, if one sector is going to be impacted, how do we make sure that those people can be reskilled for other sectors that are in demand, whether it's from transportation into healthcare? And there needs to be an on-ramp there in terms of learning, and businesses can't do that alone. So I think that the whole point of collectivism and us being in this together is really highlighted by how firms need to come together around the reskilling agenda. Any final comments, Anne, as we, as we wrap this up? This moment, this time is incredibly important for organizations to understand that this isn't about training. Training is important. I understand that. This is about development, and it's about workforce development, and it's about a much broader series of questions than can we get X number of people through X courses in X period of time and check the box for completions. This is far beyond completions. This is about the ability for individuals to apply that which they've learned and to scale that across the enterprise. Wonderful, Anne. And absolutely, businesses need to continue to deliver on their purpose and meet the needs of all stakeholders as they are preparing for their future of work. 
Thank you so much, Anne, for sharing your stories, your insights. And thank you, listeners, for tuning into this episode of Workforce Inside. For more insights into how to tackle your organization's workforce challenges, please visit our website and subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. I'm Bhushan Sethi at PwC. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.